Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Freedom from Addiction, Truth Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you, man? What's going on? Oh, I'm doing good this morning, Neil. Um, the program today, we're going to talk with the author of a uh, book that I've just started reading. It's very good. It's a novel. It's awfully big. I think about 500 pages. And it's called Eye of the Moon. And this was written by Ivan Obolinsky. Um, Ivan has an interest in talking today about conversation communications. And so even though we'll tell you a little bit about his book, uh, we're going to talk primarily about that. Now, Ivan, what caused you to be interested in communications and conversations? Well, when I grew up, I mean, we were trotted out to meet various guests. I mean, I met so many different people from JFK. I mean, I was one. Um, I, I think I even peed on him when I was two years old. Um, Jackie Kennedy, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, um, Princess, Grace, uh, we knew a lot of people and um, I had to learn to talk at an early age and to do it skillfully and, and even though you were a kid. And that was, that was interesting. And um, the more I, one day I, I watched my mother work a room. Um, it, she happened to have the uh, ambassador to Belgium there and um, just how she approached things. And it was magical in the way she just had people open up and people would talk to her and they would love the experience. And I thought that was an amazing thing. And I, and I realized though, as I went on, my grandfather also knew everybody and anybody. And um, it was a terrific uh, sort of, I guess, a, a model to go by. Um, none of them burned bridges. I tended to do that. I found that was wrong, but I did learn eventually to communicate successfully. And I think it's a real skill set that's um, basically being eroded. And I, I think we need to have it back in the forefront. Um, the reason behind it, I think, is fairly simple is that Einstein said that, um, hey, uh, the most important question an individual can be can answer is, is the universe a friendly place? And um, with the individual's power being erased and the network becoming more predominant, um, the individual is a bit under threat. And I would love to have it so that um, people can converse and find that basically it's not as bad as they think. Well, that, that gives us a good reason to have this conversation. This is an interesting one. First of all, I think for an individual, people have great gifts. And um, I think everybody does have one. But we don't really know what our great gifts are. Um, those people who are brilliant communicators, I found, um, are able to focus their attention on the person they're talking to and to listen. And that is a big deal. In the world today, there is a tendency to the soundbite. I mean, it's a classic example. 
uh, times is sort of compressed. The amount of time one is available for anything is less and less. And so, you know, that gets eroded. And um, what, a, what a great communicator can do is extend that time and allow the person, the other person, a forum. And that means pausing. And people don't pause so much. So that's one of the things I think that, um, you know, is the difficult. Does that make I sense? I haven't. Somebody told me once, great communicators understand the fact that God gave people two ears and one mouth. Maybe they should try to listen twice as hard or twice as long as they try to talk. And, and actually, that's very true. It is a maxim I heard in my, a lot of sales training and actually one which I found to be extraordinarily successful. So... Um, now, now we know why you want to talk about this. I want to get into something that in our country, maybe in the entire world, is a big bugaboo as far as communication goes. Um, as Neil knows, I have done extensive research in people in other parts of the world who are using scam techniques in romantic dating sites to lure money out of the people's pockets. Terrible thing. And um, their communications are terrible. Uh, they, they don't want to talk to a person face-to-face because -face they know they can't do it. And they really don't want video communication they just want uh, text messaging and, and other things which don't allow the other person to determination of whether they're being told the truth about certain things. So this is going on all over the Internet, and it's a billion-dollar industry, multi-billion-dollar industry for people who are lonely and want to communicate but either don't know how or don't have boundaries. Something is wrong there. What's wrong there? Um, the context. I think one of, okay, Thomas Kuhn wrote The Structure of Scientific Revolution. And um, in it, he said that data is theory laden. What that means is uh, in the early parts when this was first being done, you could the idea was you have a whole bunch of information and you looked at the information and out of that you got a concept, a law, and then went on from there. So there was a truth in it. Um, the problem with that is that data as data does nothing. We all look through a lens and we all filter it in different ways. I There's three things on this. First of all, there was a, a study done in the 1980s called the Information Deficit Model of Scientific Communication. And what that model was, they decided that people didn't have enough information. And so the idea in order to get across complex economic and scientific concepts was to get more information. Well, what did they find out? but people already had opinions on the information they were given and were rejecting them or not. When this was examined, it was discovered that 
talking heads, that is people voicing opinions one to the other, was the way to further communicate their ideas in order to get it actually better across. And that by doing this opinionated talking heads point of view, this could be done. And you'll find this started on the financial networks and then moved all over the place. And now it is pretty st standard. And so that, that is one element on it. Uh, I think um, because it, it, it has to do with emotions, it's public relations and people are emotional. And remember, emotions are the quick down and dirty way to decide something. Um, critical thinking takes a, a bunch longer. Now, just as techniques go, two things I've learned that really have helped me. When a person starts getting angry, the way to handle that is to speak softer, slower. If you, you may even, if you got even a guy who is a complete rage, if you whisper, it will, it changes them like that. That's one of the interesting things. The other thing was Ben Franklin had the same problem and how he solved it because he was a very contentious individual. And when he went over to France, man, he was in arguments all the time. And um, he eventually said, you know, this is really not working for me considering I'm supposed to be the ambassador of this fledgling country called the United States. So what he thought and how he worked it out was to ask questions. So when a person comes up, okay, he says, well, you know, I hate this. This is, you know, it's like, well, why do you hate that? And, you know, okay, that's one way to look at it. What if such and such is true? What then? You, you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, you have to be able to control the conversation. And the way you do that is by using questions rather than reacting to it. And that sometimes you, you have to be able to not get your buttons pushed, I suppose. Right. That's the way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Ivan, I was starting to think about this, that sometimes we show our poker cards in conversations and communication where we'll do something like a sniff that we just have no idea that we're doing or something that really can tell people that, you know, I'm not as confident about stuff. So how do you have that poker face in communication so that you're showing a professionalism and yet still be able to communicate and be yourself? I call it the glow. Um, a person, you know, it's the interest, it's the attention, and it's the willingness for the other person to be there and say whatever they're going to say, and it's okay with you. And that is sort of a prerequisite that you have to get. And those people who are the great communicators, I think, instinctively do that. They just, you know, you're there and you're safe, and you can talk to them. And that is what it takes. And in, in, in once you know you get over that, and because people get very defensive, so they put out their little thoughts, and they say this, and they blah, 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 and they want a reaction. And when you don't react, but just still be there for them, and just say, well, great, and understand what they're saying, and, you know, follow up. And, you know, if they're really contentious, and you may not agree with what they're saying you might ask them well have you you know see have you heard about this and they may say oh i have no i have or they may say oh i've heard that's complete bullshit you know it could be any of these things but you know you just 
you have to query because everybody is tries to do the best they can. And I think Tony Robbins said that. I think he was really correct. Everybody's trying to do the very best they can, which means that you start on a positive note. They're not out to get you. And once, but you have to understand how it is they think the way they think. And that requires listening because you don't find it any other way. That's, that is, when that's pretty interesting, you know, in that glow. I love that take, that glow, because in, in the thing that makes me a great communicator and making and relationships is something I need to work on. Isn't that funny, uh, Ivan and Wynn, that I am really good at communication, but I still have to improve in relationships. And why is that? And I'm going to ask Wynn that question and also Ivan. Wynn, what is your thought? Ivan, you go first. Okay, here's <laughs> – my wife is going to kill me. Okay, here's – my wife has something which she totally denies but I think is a valid factor. She has what's called the voice. You should hear this woman on the phone. It's, I don't know what it is, but she has this way of just easing through your head and you listen and you like to listen to it. And it's the voice. And I think this is something that's real interesting, but just having the voice is not enough. You now have to do something with it. And I think be willing to, I mean, my, my wife and I work very well together. I consider she's the boss. I may have a tremendous amount of talent, but if you really want a good relationship, you have to sort of set your priorities of who, you know, really, you know, and you defer to them on certain things because marriage is a compromise. Relationships are a compromise and you have to be able, like, friendship is, is, you know, you may say, God, he's awful at that thing. But, you know, he's my friend. You see what I'm saying? And that smooths the way to get the cooperation that you need. But, but, you know, Neil, you have that voice. I can tell already. It's very smooth. It's really nice. And it's, um, it's something that people don't look at because, of course, it's obvious. And I, I always believe it's the obvious is the most important thing because behind the obvious is often a lot more than you think. There's a... Um been a lot of people over the years who have said to me, you know, I, I feel like that I can tell you anything. And I say, well, that's probably because of my longtime career as a counselor and as a host of radio and internet, that I give you the impression that you're in a safe environment. Um, is, is that what you're talking about? I think more, actually, I can tell you what it is exactly when it's your pacing. Your pacing is very, it's good. It allows a person to think it allows a person to, because it's quiet, you know, it's not assertive, but your pacing, your tone and also this slight Southern drawl is really, you know, encouraging. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but that's the way it is. Well, I know that there are dialects from other parts of the country that just turn me off immediately. <laughs> oh, I, have to, I have to really pull back in order to 
do these interviews, but I know what you're talking about. Let's move on to uh, something else. Yeah, you said you need to learn how to set better boundaries around who the people are talking to and what they're talking about so that simple conversations don't feel like negotiations. But you also said something that I would like for you to expound on, which is the four ends, like in Nancy, the four ends of negotiation that might help you with those conversations to become win-win conversations. Well, I think it's more a, a question of knots. You know, there's the famous one, my, my mom always said, well, don't discuss politics, religion, or that type of thing. You know, go with the weather. <laughs> I mean, that may sound really weird and almost, uh, you know, childish, but it's not. It's actually brilliant because if you talk about the weather and you find points of agreement and things and this, you can then start to bring in the other things. If there is no real trust in the relationship, there's no way you can really get across a deeply held opinion and have it matter. And so that's one thing. I think the other one was no, you know, no talking. I, I know that sounds weird, but you have to listen. And the reason that N is there is basically to focus on listening as opposed to, you know, shooting your mouth off. Because if you, and, and, and that also means no thinking while the other person is talking. And that is a tricky business too, because you're always thinking about, well, what am I gonna say to that? Or instead of just listening to the person and understanding what it is they say, go ahead. Ivan, I take notes, that's it. I mean, and when I'm all, especially, cause I, I guess why relationships, I'm much better in a client relationship than a personal relationship sometimes because I take notes. And because my mind goes 100,000 miles an hour, my top talent's ideation. So I'm always figuring out ideas. So I want to interrupt. But when I take notes and I've learned how to even take mental notes in my head, which uh, that's really a skill set uh, that I either I take notes in my head that I'm constantly taking notes to remember certain things or I'm taking notes on paper or a digital plat like my phone that I'm able to stay completely focused on the person. If I don't do that, let's say I'm having a beer or coffee and I'm really just relaxed, I won't remember those things. I won't provide great value in a communication. So I, the way I've been able to really develop communication is to really take either mental notes, physical notes, or digital notes. That's a fantastic idea. I know my wife does that. She is real. She takes notes and she's really good at that. Um, I am not. <laughs> I, I, but, you know, but I understand it. And I think actually that would probably be the fourth end because, you know, I note in the back of my mind, I suppose, you know, to go back to something. And also one of the things I think is you have to not want to create a big impression on the other person. We all want to do that, but that's something which is sort of a, you have to shut that down because otherwise you're just emanating. You're not receiving. 
And what makes people think you're a great communicator is the fact that they said something and it went across and the other person understood it. And yeah, they said, you know, I really got that and I got you. And all of a sudden they feel on top of the world. And so that's the other end is you just, you gotta, you, you're there for the other person more than you're there for yourself. And that's, that started a whole other sort of idea which was that, you know, people wonder what they want to do in life. And, you know, they ask themselves and, you know, how can I get this and how can I get that? But they very rarely ask, you know, what does life want from me? And I think one of the things that you have to do is be willing to have no agenda for life to tell you, because life tells you all the time. It is, you know, it has far more data points than you do. <laughs> it is more powerful and you have to listen to it. But if you have an agenda, you won't. And I think that's the, a, a critical thing in having great conversations. It's the surprise factor. People don't see that. It's the surprise of, whoa, what did that person just say? And it sort of clicks on this one. And that's also what to do. I have to do with writing too. You know, it's like you have a plot, but you know, I don't have a plot. I just write. And so many surprising things happen when I'm doing that. And I get interrupted all the time. And people say, oh no, you shouldn't be interrupted. And I say, I love to be interrupted. It changes the entire plot by the time I come back. And it's really true. So that's, that's another factor if that, that makes sense to you. I wanted to, um... Um, add something into the conversation that I have learned in the past from people who are salespeople and in terms of negotiation. And the tip is this, first loses and let the other person talk. Ivan, yeah. you sent me 40 talking points, obviously. <laughs> We're not going to be able to get to all of them, although I wish we could, because you're so fluent, educated, and, and observant on, but number four on your list was, what is a suicide? Now, tell us what you meant by that, would you? Sure. I think we all make assumptions. I mean, initially all you have is what you see or what you hear. I mean, that gets more interesting when, you know, you have, um, when you're doing it on the internet, you receive an email and all you get is an email address. Um, one makes assumptions. Uh, you know, it could be the way a person dresses. It could be, you know, oh, this guy's rich. So he's, he, he's a jerk. Or this guy's poor, he's a jerk. You know, it could be, you know, it's like you have these assumptions or you think that, oh, you know, the person is just really upset, but you have no idea what's really going on behind that. And if you don't, you know, take the time to put those aside or to verify them, you make mistakes because information that, you know, the, the world that's real is not the world in your head. And so you're looking at a world that is basically not true and mistakes happen as a result of that. Poor decisions get made. 
And what you have to do is hopefully your world reflects, you know, the world that is in actuality. And assumptions are something that we do all the time because we're pattern people. You know, humans are create patterns. They love patterns. You know, give them a mosaic and they'll see something. Put up a cloud. Nature does it all the time. Oh, there's a camel. You know, it's just that's what we do. And so we do that on a regular basis. And, and, and that can be not good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It just, you have to go and you have to go into something with an open mind. And that is very, very difficult because we do have that proclivity. Um, one other thing I just wanted to point out was that one of the ways to really, I like writing dialogue. And in some ways my characters are larger than life. And they are because I get to consider what they say. And I may consider a great deal and spend a tremendous amount of time working out what it is they say, even in a simple dialogue. And so it's very considered. And so the people act in ways which are almost bigger than life. And, and that's, that's, a, that's something interesting because I think when you assume you go off your first thought and you don't do the considered thought, and it's usually that considered thought, which is the wiser one. Does, does that make sense? Ivan, um, so we're getting toward the end of our program, and I want uh, to let you read us a short segment of your book, Eye of the Moon, to show people how well a writer you are. I know you've gotten awards and, and everything. Uh, for the people who like to read novels, uh, Maybe this would give them uh, a little extra interest in picking up a yeah. copy of your book. Absolutely. And um, these boys, they, they want to know why uh, this woman was, you know, why she died reading the Egyptian book of the bed. They're trying to find out something about her. They discover a letter. The letter starts, dearest, I am sorry we fought and that I upset you. Please understand it is no easy matter for me to write about these. I would rather not even now, but I seem to have no choice if we are to continue together. You are so jealous. That green-eyed monster lives inside you like a beast. You need to lock that away. Promise me you will, please. I have the figurine en route to me. It does not look like much. Such things never do, but I am relieved to know it is safe. So how did all this happen, you wish to know? Do I still love him, you ask? How could you? I am sickened to think that you would even consider the thought. But what can I do? I can only repeat over and over that you be worry yourself. You will anyway, but I suppose that is my cross to bear. What follows will ease your mind, but then again, it may not, for reasons that will become apparent. I'll leave you it at That's perfect. And where can we purchase your book, Ivan? Where's the best place? Um, Amazon is always good. Um, there's it's Kindle. Then you read that one, and then you read the second one, Shadow of the Sun, which uh, is really good too. And um, but Eye of the Moon is terrific in the sense that it's it's a mystery and it is intriguing and it's intelligent, and that would be a good reason to do absolutely. It. And also translated into Spanish as well, so the global yeah. community can like this and this is exciting for sure. When best place again for you real quick is, is going to be revwinhendersonmd.com and also uh, check you out by just searching freedom from addiction on Lipson.